Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Out of Bounds with Dota. Lose your eye. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Thank you for spending part of your day with me. I appreciate you taking me along for the ride, and I want to thank you for that. I hope your week is off to a great start. Folks, uh, I appreciate being able to do this for you. Um, This content is free to you, uh, and all I would appreciate in return is if you could rate and review the show, the podcast, on all your apps. Uh, Very easy, very simple to do. The idea here is, hey, when you go to a good restaurant, or a new hotspot, and you enjoy it, you have a good meal or really good service, you let people know about it, right? So that's the idea here. We want people to know uh, that, you know, you're enjoying the content. Uh, And we know you are because you continue to listen, unless you're screaming at your radio uh, or your uh, phone every time you listen. Uh, Then we got a problem, and uh, we may need to have you get some help. But I would appreciate the help there. Just rate and review and uh, let all your friends know about it. Uh, and find us on all our uh, social media pages. Folks, uh, we're making the turn here, and summer seems to be here for the long haul. I know we're dealing with a little cool down here in the uh, metro Detroit area, but for those of you out there who've uh, been able to enjoy the weather and you've been boating and, uh, and jet skiing and all that stuff, uh seems like we're here. It's there. Um, if you're like me, you wonder why you look forward to summer all year long. And then you're like, man, every weekend is booked and I can't do anything that I really want to do. You've got graduation parties and weddings and all these other events. Um, and I actually made a conscious effort this year to tone it down. And then I look at the schedule and I'm like, man, I feel like summer's about, summer just goes by in the blink of an eye. So, uh, hopefully you're able to, uh, you're going to be able to enjoy what you got going on, even if it's just you know, chilling outside, hanging out, having a, a bonfire and some beers and just enjoying your time with friends because that's what it's all about. Hey, uh, nobody's making any friends in the NBA final, I'll tell you that. Um, we're uh, two games in, and uh, if you don't mind, let's let's talk for the next half hour, would you? Um, let's start off with the NBA because uh, that's the biggest thing happening right now in sports. Uh, probably no surprise to many people. Uh, that this series is 2-0, except for um, delusional LeBron James superfans. Everybody else pretty much expected this to be a 2-0 series at this point after two games. So um, we won't worry about those other folks. And what did you see from uh, Game 1 and Game 2? I'll tell you what I saw. Um, I saw what I predicted. I saw a near 20-point win. I predicted a 20-point win in Game 2. They won by 19. Um, you know, the Cavs weren't weren't able to come out and do exactly uh, what they were doing in game one. They had all the confidence in the world uh, in game one, and they weren't able to pull that out in the next turnaround. So um, 
confidence is gone. I told you I didn't think they could recover uh, from that game one blunder. Um, when when J.R. Smith can't even come out and give you a straight answer, uh, you knew it was lost, right? So what are you seeing? Well, Steph Curry through two games looks like the MVP of the finals to me. I don't know what games you're watching if you think it's anybody else, but it's Steph Curry. Um, I told you that was going to happen before the series started, and here we are, and, and he's proven me right. Um, and, and why is that? Well, Steph Curry has uh, come into this finals – um, ready. He's in game form. He's in game shape. The injury that everybody thought was going to slow him down is certainly not doing that. Um, he's playing at an MVP level. And for the first time, when he wins a championship, he's going to be MVP, uh, which is crazy to think that he's about to win his third championship against LeBron James, uh, and he's not MVP. So you know the kind of effort it would take uh, to defeat a guy as great as LeBron James in the finals. And not be when you're the face of your franchise and and you have already won two championships and you're not that guy. People are questioning his standing among all the greats, among all the current players. Um, can he show up on the big stage? Well, here we are. It's the big stage, and he's here. He's arrived. I don't know if you're watching the games, but Steph Curry has arrived. Uh, so here he is, MVP caliber performance through two games, especially game two. Um, I mean, it was it was like video game cheat mode. That's what I saw in game two. Um, his step backs, his even like I mean, trick shots and and everything that he he just he just he looked great. All right, and he's the guy that can can rip off fourteen straight points uh, all by himself and just really put a dagger in your heart. And this is what I talked about uh, early on. You know, when we previewed the finals, um, the Warriors. You know, you go on a 10-0 run against the Warriors, you're feeling pretty good. Warriors turn that around like that. And that is just such a disheartening way to lose a game or to lose a lead. Uh, and that's what they do. And the, the game was within 10 points through three quarters. And they just know how to pull away. And then when they pull away, that's when they that's when they come at you with the haymaker. And then it's just you just have no will to live anymore um you know LeBron still had a good game in game two just wasn't you know as aggressive and as fiery as he was in game one and uh, can you blame him I mean his team let him down I mean you can blame him sure he gets the blame for everything he gets all the credit uh when he wins so he gets just as much blame when he loses right and that's that's the price you pay for being one of the greats, and calling yourself the chosen one and naming yourself the king. You know, when you make your own nicknames, that's what you get. So what more can LeBron James do, right? In all reality, not much. Um, Steph is is the equalizer between those two guys, and then the all-around team on the other side, they're just they're playing great. KD came out uh, and totally redeemed himself from game one, had one of the most efficient games you'll ever see. Um, because that's what he does. KD just screams efficiency for being that potent of an offensive uh, mastermind and assassin. When you can also be efficient, it's just it's just an amazing feat to be able to do that, especially on this level. But I'll tell you, there's a difference with KD this year compared to last year. KD this year, as you saw, got a little shook up in the Rocket series, 
kind of lost his identity with this team, wasn't sure, you know, maybe felt like he was being questioned on what his role was. And maybe he even he didn't know what his role was. So he was different last year because last year he had to go win an NBA championship. And he had to go win finals MVP. Those had to go hand in hand. He couldn't just go win a championship, right? Because this was this was the justification for leaving OKC. You have to go win, and on top of that, you have to be finals MVP. He knew that. Otherwise, he'd just been along for the ride, right? Otherwise, he's just a passenger in the Uber, not the driver. Um, this year, all right, that monkey's off his back. He's already learned, just play your part. Just be your normal self. Be the assassin when we need you, all right? You'll get your 30 points. You'll get your 28. You'll go 10 for 14. We'll do our thing. The offense, you've seen it, and I told you this, the offense has to run through Steph Curry. When the offense runs through Steph Curry, everything opens up for everybody else, and you you just you see the guys. It's just beautiful basketball. Friend of uh, friend of mine uh, and I were talking about this. We were actually on our way to a Tigers game this weekend, and we we're just talking about it. it just it the Warriors play the mo- the most beautiful form of basketball you've ever seen. You saw this years ago with with the Spurs, where they'd rip off eight passes before a guy took a shot. You see it now at the Warriors. It just it just looks prettier. It's shinier. It's sexier. All right. It's just nice. It's fun. What else can you say? just fun to watch so when when the offense runs through Steph Curry Kevin Durant can just be Kevin Durant when they go up six and they need a guy to give him a couple buckets or maybe the lead softens a little bit and they need a guy to hey let's 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 go back at it they give him the ball on the block and then bam he can go get his buckets but if they just come down and just drop it off to him everybody stops moving and their motion offense gets crippled and then that's how you allow Cleveland get in the game, which they didn't. They didn't allow that. All right, you know Cleveland wants to slow the things down. You know LeBron. You watch him, right? He just comes down the court. He stops two two feet inside half court. Watches everything play out. Lets the guy the guys move a little bit. Gets the ball right back and just chills in that corner, right inside half court. And then waits and then goes with the ball about eight nine seconds left to go. That's that's what he needs to do, and and he's doing that. All right, and he's playing that part of his game plan, and what he's trying to do is take take possessions away from Golden State. Kevin Durant is happy to be second fiddle to Steph Curry uh, because you see what happens to him when when he feels the pressure of of having to have the offensive workload. All right, which makes you wonder. I think he was very happy playing second fiddle to Russell Westbrook in OKC. I don't think it was. The idea that Russ could go off and Kevin could just go along for the ride. There were there were external issues happening in OKC that that Kevin Durant didn't want to deal with, um, and that's just Kevin Durant's personality. You know, he went to Golden State and all of a sudden became a you know cranky at interviews, and you know he wants to have this bad boy image. He's not a bad boy. He's not a bad boy. I mean, the guy cried at his MVP speech. He's not a bad boy. All right? So he doesn't like being that guy. He likes being the complimentary guy. Steph, you go do your thing when you need me. I'm over here. And he looks happy again. 
He's found happiness again. Steph bails him out in game one, comes out with an MVP performance in game two, and now what do you have left to do? You're up two games. If if a game comes down the stretch and you need a bucket, you know where they're going. It's going to KD, even with Steph's MVP performance. That's what's going to happen. They're going to do what's necessary to win the games. Now, the the, the nervous part of it's over. All right, you've won. You, you snuck one in game one. Uh, you had a convincing win in game two. You were able to uh, impose your will on Cleveland. Um, the Warriors, to me, are the team that are going in game three, and they're going to put their foot down on the Tigers' neck, and they're not letting up. All right, they know this is too important. Let's be honest. They know they win game three. Cleveland's rolling over in game four. They're not sticking around. They're not going to you know, elongate this more than they need to. All right, Cleveland understands what's going on here. They lose game three, they are rolling over. I mean, they probably wish they could just throw in the towel for game four and be like, I'll be in Cancun on, on Friday. Um, but that's just the way it's going to happen. Golden State is too good to even open the door for Cleveland in game three. And then they're just going to go go for the – they're going to go for the kill shot in game three. That's how I see this happening. Steve Kerr is too good of a coach. That team is too good. And Cleveland is way too broken. LeBron is mentally exhausted. You see it. You've seen the video by now that everybody's tweeting of his reaction after J.R. Smith's debacle. And let's be honest. All right, let's let's talk about the video that everybody's tweeting about. Oh, LeBron now getting upset because they had a timeout and they didn't use it. Okay, first of all, uh, LeBron, Coach LeBron, that everybody knows Coach LeBron, everybody says he's the coach, uh, calls the shots, right? This is not a time to point the finger at, at Ty Lue, all right? Because you know everything that's going on in the court, right? Memorizing plays, how they happen, and... All these things, right? The, the the greatest photographic memory of any athlete ever. That's what you super fans told me. That's what you guys were tweeting and Facebooking and, and putting all over my feed. That, oh my God, look at this other amazing trait that he has. Because he's the greatest of all time. Coach LeBron also didn't know they had a timeout. So to sit there at that point and now point fingers like you can't. You can't choose when you want to be that guy. You can't choose when you want to be the coach on the floor. It doesn't work that way. Because once you've done it, once you're LeBron James and everybody knows that, you don't get to just decide when you want to do that. If you are Coach LeBron, which everybody in the league says you are, you don't get to take that playoff. All right? Now, I don't want to swing the blame back to LeBron, but come on. All right? He's already, like, like Ty Lue is already getting shit on. All right, no need to do that now. You know, you should know. All right, just as much as J.R. Smith should know what the score is, I believe LeBron James should know whether they have timeouts or not. I truly believe that. And he's not getting a pass from me on that. All right, you're already throwing your team under the bus by your reaction. And the reaction of the coach. And then the, the, the subtle, you know, the, the, the chess game you play there by not talking to anybody after that. 
I'm done with that. All right. I don't need to see that. You don't need that. That that doesn't cost you the game. All right. Because you should know that too. That's on you. So don't act like like that's a deciding factor here. All right. You got to know that too. That's as simple as asking in the huddle, in the last dead ball. Those are things you need to know. When the game is close, don't tell me you don't know that or that you don't want to know that. When the game is that close, those are all things you need to know. When you're playing uh, NBA 2K, you know you pause the screen or you look at the score scoreboard the, the on the bottom of the screen, you know how many timeouts you got. So don't sit there and 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 point the finger. That's just that's nonsense. That's amateur hour. Can't do that. Not cool. Not cool. Um, as far as the series goes, I originally picked this to happen in six, but I mentioned in the last show, there's no coming back from that game one loss. It's just not happening. So it's over in four. That's not me flip flopping. I gave you the circumstances of what it was going to take to be over in six. But that's just that that's that's a dick punch, man. That's a kick in the balls, game one. And you saw they just didn't have the same energy. They didn't have the same fire. Um there's there's a difference. You play with a different mindset when you actually believe you can win a ball game. All right? You saw that in game one. That's why they were in the game. To begin with, all right, you saw that with the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. They weren't looking at this juggernaut in, in New England uh, and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and they didn't go in there thinking, all right, let's just give it a good old college try uh, and get out of here and just be a part of history for Tom Brady. No, they actually believed they could win the ball game, and that's how they played. There's a difference when you can play with that kind of confidence and that kind of belief, all right? So that changes the outcome of games. And we're going to see that that completely changed. And I know I, I joked about a, a sweep um, before, you know, the finals even started. I think they were still in the middle of the middle of the second round. But um, I just don't see this happening any other way. Six games, I actually thought I was making a bold pick. Um, and now I just feel like an idiot. But I don't feel as like a bigger idiot than J.R. Smith, I'll tell you that. Whew, that guy made a lot of people look smart. Charles Barkley said it best. The world is full of dumb people, and J.R. Smith is one of them. So, hey, we'll follow up on that uh, after game three and see how that goes. But uh, I think uh, Steph and KD come out with a powerful performance, and then uh, we'll see. Maybe Ty Lue finally decides to make a lineup change and bench J.R. Smith. We'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll touch base later in the week. Let's move on. Let's stick with basketball, but let's move on to the uh, uh, Detroit Pistons because uh, the talk right now is that the Pistons are thinking about bringing uh, Dwayne Casey, former coach of the Toronto Raptors, and uh, John Beeline back for second interviews. Both have already interviewed. Both have been uh, categorized as having uh, solid Really good first interviews. Um, here's the problem. If you know you're hiring Dwayne Casey, 
you already know. The fact that you have to bring him back for a second interview, like you have more questions, like, uh, I don't feel comfortable with that. And not to mention, you just fired Stan Van Gundy for his style of coaching and, and his choices. Uh, have you watched Casey and how he coaches? I mean, the guy benched his all-star, his superstar. Um, not a s- superstar in, in, by NBA standards, but Toronto, he's their superstar. And he benched him in the playoffs for an entire quarter plus. So how do you think that guy is going to go over here in Detroit with personalities like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson? Um, I don't think it's a problem with Blake, but the idea is the NBA has changed. That coaching mentality, ruling with an iron fist, that's so 90s, maybe early 2000s. That's gone, all right? Um, You look at a team like the Warriors and why Steve Kerr is successful. First of all, they've got a lot of young guys on that team. Steve Kerr comes from championship pedigree, right? So what does he know about coaching young guys, millennials who uh, get easily offended, uh, have their he- their feelings hurt easily? Um, well, he played for one of the greatest masterminds ever in Phil Jackson, managing some of the biggest egos to ever play on a basketball court, and he managed that successfully. So I think you learn some things from the Zen master. Oh, and by the way, if that's not enough, you go learn from Greg Popovich, who coached and managed the next wave of great players. Maybe not so many egos, but you still have to learn how to manage those egos. Maybe a different a different mindset with those guys. So he's had a number of... Uh, experiences that help him in those situations. Uh, Dwayne Casey is a regular season coach. You've seen it. He can't scheme. He doesn't know how to scheme against players and other teams' positives and their advantages. He doesn't know how to do it. He just can't. Maybe average talent, yeah. But he hasn't shown you that he can do it. So I'm actually a little upset. I'm a little upset for the Pistons fan base that they're actually looking at him again. Especially when you got a guy like John Beeline who's available and clearly interested. Here's the thing. I know this is going to pit Michigan fans versus Pistons fans. But here's the thing. All right, John Beeline is probably retiring in like three to four years, which is also upsetting if you're a Pistons fan because you almost feel like you want like seven years with this guy, right? Because he develops talent. He can scheme. He knows the playbook. He builds a great playbook. He lets guys kind of figure it out on their own, and then when they need to scheme something, he comes back and he, you know, he schemes. Um, you know, I've been telling you for months on this podcast that John Beeline is an underrated college basketball coach I think the secret's out now but I've been telling you that for months you know Tom Izzo can't coach in the NBA today absolutely not his style doesn't work you're not getting 23 24 25 year old stars who are going to play for a coach who's who's screaming at them every second of the, of the ball game 
not just that, but also calling plays every second you're on offense. That's not going to fly either. John Beeline, he's going to fly. He's going to fly because he's a great coach. He lets players figure it out. He schemes, all right? He's got a game plan. The guy prepares for games unlike a lot of guys you see in the NBA, all right? It's not the textbook kind of stuff, all right? He's got experience in doing all this. I want to see a guy like that come to a Pistons team and try to turn this thing around. The problem is you don't turn around this Pistons team in three to four years. It's just not going to happen. Not with There's no future here. So A, why Dwayne Casey even wants the job is like, what the hell are you doing, dude? There's no cap space. You got no first-round draft picks. You got big contracts that you got to figure out how to try to move, which you likely can't move. Why do you even want the job? Well, I could see a guy like John Beeline, why he wants it. He wants a crack at the NBA. He's never done it. I'm sure he can figure it out. Problem is, 67 years old. And a 67-year-old is probably, I mean, let's be honest, the clock is ticking for him. So it angers me. Like, I wish he was 60 because then you could say, well, he's probably coaching for another 12, 15 years. It bothers me slightly that it's like the inopportune time for him to come coach this team. I didn't mind Stan Van Gundy when he got hired. I was excited. I think he was a great coach. I don't think he's a great GM. I don't think he's a great president of basketball operations. I think he was drafting like a coach rather than like a GM. And I think that's ultimately what doomed him. He overlooked talent because he looked on coachability and not necessarily raw talent. I think that was his demise. That was his doom. If you are going to try to do something different, to turn this team around, to turn this franchise around. You go with John Beeline. You don't go with Dwayne Casey. You've seen his resume. You already know what he's capable and also incapable of. And if you're Dwayne Casey, dude, no. Don't want you here. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a great guy. Your style doesn't work with this team. And we don't want to be regular season achievers. We're not into participation trophies, all right? We don't do that kind of stuff here in Detroit. We don't like those things. Participation trophies are not our thing. So let's move on. I hope they give a guy like John Beeline a chance. I don't want to take a run at a Dwayne Casey or a Jawan Howard or a Shane Battier. I just I just don't. I'm not interested. I'm not interested This coaching pick is is the one that will either tell you if Tom Gores is really serious about winning here in Detroit or if he's just trying to run a business uh, because he's in a fancy, shiny new arena. Um, And that'll tell fans what their owner really is about Uh, because he is no Mike Illich. No, he's no Mike Illich. He's not uh he's not that kind of guy. So Godspeed. Godspeed with that next hire. Uh because Lord knows we need a firecracker. We need lightning in a bottle. We need something here to, to, to work. 
We'll stick with the Detroit teams because the Tigers. Did you know there's a baseball draft? Did you know the MLB had a draft tonight? Or by the time you're listening, last night or a couple days ago? Nope. Unless you're really into baseball, you didn't know. Not carried on a major network, MLB. Just not as exciting. It's not as ex- it's not as sexy because a lot of these guys that get drafted don't go on to play right away. It's just a different system. That's part of baseball's problem in being relevant today. However, the Tigers appear to have made a splash by drafting a Tiger. So with the number one overall pick, our Detroit Tigers went and got an Auburn Tiger in Casey Mize. Um, look, the overwhelming uh, reaction to this is that they made the right choice. Um Dude, 6'3", 220 pounds. Uh, so he's he's a big boy. He's solid. He looks like he's going to be a stud. Undrafted out of high school a few years back, became a star in college. Um, that's what college is supposed to do. Whether you're a star or not in high school, college should take you to the next level. Um, and the kid can can throw some heat. He's got a fastball in the mid-90s. Um Strikes people out. He's got command of four pitches. You know that's that's a lot of the uh, that that's usually the knock on younger pitchers. Uh, they come in with a one and a two, um, and they have to hone in three and four, and that's where they kind of get in trouble, especially when they get around the batting order a couple times. So um, look, all signs point towards this kid being a stud. All right, um, and we'll see. I mean, Detroit needs. Severely needs pitching. Um, you know, some of the experts out there say, you know, in terms of Tigers pitching prospects, the Tigers are going to have about four or five in the top 100 here going forward. So um, that's something to be excited about. And listen, any guy with talent coming on this team, any young guy with talent, I got to be excited for because of Ron Gartenheyer and what he's doing with this squad. Um, I'll tell you right now. Most fans did not expect this team to be one, two games out of 500 for the season at this point in the year. All right. Now, listen, they're not going to be the best team on the field every night. All right. On most nights, they're not going to be the best team on the field. All right. But they're going to beat some teams that are way better, like the Yankees. They're going to beat those teams because they're going to work hard and they're playing ball the right way and. Baseball's a tough game, and these guys are professionals, so they're going to go out there and they're going to compete. And that's what they do under Ron, Ron Gardenhire. They weren't doing that under Brad Ausmus. So I love what we're seeing. I just I, I can't say enough that this rebuild here in Detroit is not going to be as long and painstaking as I think most people thought. Uh, the future's looking bright, thanks to Ron Gardenhire. Um. I mentioned last year I had some trust issues with Alavila, um, but Ron Gardenhire is sure making him look smart. Um, so we're going to give him a pass. I'm going to put a hold on Alavila and my thoughts on him uh, as GM uh, because I think Ron Gardenhire is overcompensating for some of his decisions. So we're going to see. We're going to see uh, as we go forward. Uh, still early, but about 60 games in. You know what? These Tigers are fun to watch, and uh, it's it's still a fun experience being over there 
at Comerica. It's got an energy that we haven't felt in a few years. So kudos to them. Uh, and, and great job with the number one pick. So I think I think uh, the future is looking bright there. Uh, one thing I want to touch on uh, briefly, you know, this uh, whole idea of championship teams uh, making a visit to the White House. Um, if you've been paying attention, the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> have been uninvited to the White House after winning the Super Bowl. Um, and a lot of it has to do with some players and some other members of the team being vocal about uh, the President of the United States. And, you know, instead of dealing with that, um, their invitation was basically said, hey, we're not doing the celebration. Um, too many guys don't want to take the stand for the national anthem, and uh, we're, we're yanking your invitation. Is it time... Are we? It's 2018, right? Things evolve, sports evolve, traditions evolve. Is it time to ditch the White House visit for championship teams? And here's why I say it: one, it's become it, it's becoming so politicized, uh, and it's when it doesn't really have anything to do with sports, right? So it's 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 being pulled out of that vortex and put in this other crazy vortex, and be, it's being politicized. And you know what side um, both sides have been on, the president and professional athletes. So when when that happens, you kind of take away from the moment, right? First of all, the Eagles won the Super Bowl back in February. All right, we're already in June. Long forgotten, who cares? They're not the first players to decide not to go. They're just the first to give a real reason of why they're not going. Larry Bird didn't go to the White House uh, after winning the championship, he was like, hey, president knows where to find me. Michael Jordan went to golf when his team went to visit the White House. And nobody cared and nobody made it a political thing. And who cares? Like, seriously, if the guys who are playing the sport, all right, they're not playing because they get to go visit the White House and meet the president. These professional athletes aren't playing for a chance to go visit the White House. All right, they're playing for the millions of dollars, the trophy that they get, the championship rings, the parade, all that stuff, and then the endorsements that come after that. They are not playing for a chance to go to the White House. So that tradition isn't meaningful to them, or at least most of them. Sure, I'm, I know there are guys that are probably looking forward to that, All right, but they're also million-dollar athletes that can probably find a way to still go there. All right, and especially in this day and age, if they tweet the president and say, I will stand for the national anthem and I'm a champion and I'd like to come visit the White House, pretty good chance, A, they're getting a tweet back and B, an invitation to come do that. So is it time to ditch that tradition, the White House visit for championship teams? I think so. I think so. Especially, I mean, does anybody really think that there's a lot of interest in sports in the White House, like 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 serious fanship like it doesn't matter who your president is like everybody knew obama was in the basketball loved it you know he loved his white Sox, but you saw his his first pitch at the white Sox game right george w loved baseball and football bill clinton big college basketball fan but does it matter does anybody really care it's different now. 2018 is different. It's time to ditch tradition. I'm sorry. I really do. 
I just don't think it's it's that moment anymore. Just not. So rather than make it a controversy every time a championship team doesn't go as a whole to do that, is it a crime to not want to? I'm kind of with some of these guys. It's not even political. It's like I'd rather golf or be on vacation. It's the off season. It's four months after I've won it. Like, come on now. And I get it. Some of these teams and players get recognized for the their community service and all that. So there, there, there's a good part to that. But I, I think they're happy with a letter from the White House that says thank you for your community service, or hey, we'll be there when you open the children's activity center in your name as a charity. That's cool. But I think it's time. I think it's time to ditch that tradition. And I think it's time for me to wrap up this podcast, which means it's time for you to A, share, B, subscribe, C, rate, and D, is nuts. Just kidding. And review. I would love it if you could do that for us and let everybody know what we're doing here. Hey, thank you again for downloading and listening and spending part of your day with me. Be sure to follow us on all our social media pages. Have a great week, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.